0: shining a light on podcasts and videos that have caught our attention the spotlight with jen spiker weekdays on vision and on demand in the free vision christian media app life culture and current events
1: from a biblical perspective 2020 with neil johnson on vision I think one of those important conversations coming over this next hour, and you might want to lean in just a little closer to the radio, picking up some of the finer points, because this is the sort of thing we'll talk about today that can supercharge the Christian church in Australia. We're going to be talking about multiplication. Have you ever stopped to consider how your local church got there? whether your church is an ornate cathedral or whether it's a weatherboard structure or a converted warehouse or a rented hall, tracing a brief history back to beginnings will lead to one conclusion. Someone with an inspired vision brought together a team and planted your church. So a conversation today about your role, my role, our role, in the next church to be planted. Well, our special guest is Tim O'Neill. He's chairperson of Exponential Australia. They have a vision to see Australian Christians right across the breadth of the entire church develop a fresh passion and commitment to multiplying. There are amazing stories that are emerging from the developing world and as crazy as it may sound to some, perhaps we all need to be in churches that plant churches that plant churches. Tim O'Neill, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Hey, Tim, uh, on the ground stories that are coming from around the world and uh, perhaps even biggest In some nations where we'd say this is part of the developing world, these sorts of stories are emerging of churches multiplying, and I guess we're going to be talking about how that applies to our Australian context too, but what are you hearing about multiplication of churches in the developing world?
2: Look, in the developing world, there's some incredible stories. Um, I've had personal experience of one movement that was started in the developing world 25 years ago, and it was started from scratch. And over that time, there have been 45,000 churches planted.
1: Not only churches in places like India, but in Africa right now, where there is Correct. this exponential growth. You're hearing stories like this all the time?
2: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, Steve Addison, in a book that he recently put out, uh, he, he wrote about the explosion of uh, multiplication ministries around the world. And in fact, researchers that he quotes in his book, um, movements and the Acts of God have estimated that there are approximately 5 million churches around the world that are part of multiplication movements now.
1: Okay, so around the world churches are in multiplication mode and uh, from time to time I've shared on this program just the growth of what's happening in African churches, in South American churches, the growth of the church in China. Uh, Listeners who are regular listeners to this program know that there are amazing things that are happening around the world. So in saying that, we want to be able to bring a contrast to what's happening here in Australia because perhaps we're not seeing amazing things here in Australia so far as church planting and multiplication, but what's your impression here?
2: Look, Perhaps if I can just give uh, one starting point, and that is the Great Commission in uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Uh, Jesus instructed us to go and make disciples of all nations, and then he said, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But in Western countries, we tend to truncate that uh, to teaching them everything I have commanded you not teaching them to obey. As a result, uh, in Western countries, discipleship tends to be uh, modelled around a no- a knowledge base rather than an application base. But in developing countries, it's very, very clear. When you become a disciple, there is an expectation as to what that means. For example, if I can just give one example from Scripture, uh, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Now, there are a lot of people in our nation who claim to be followers of Jesus, but there are not a lot of people uh, who are out there fishing for people at the same time.
1: All right. Now, fishing for people. Uh, and this is an interesting one because if you want to include a wider number in this fishing uh, for people project, uh, you've really got to embrace how you involve yourself with new church expressions and this is i guess what we're talking about in planting churches Uh, how do you describe uh, the sort of things that need to happen to create these new expressions
2: yeah that that's a really good question neil i think um with the new expressions one of the things that we have to consider is that uh the church will take on a form that is relevant to the culture of the day we've got our biblical principles that don't change But then we have uh, the culture of the day for a church to be effective. It's actually uh, reaching into that culture. Now, the thing is that our culture has changed very, very quickly. But generally, the way we do church has not changed uh, significantly. And so what we're seeing around the world is an experimentation that is taking place in some sectors where people are actually working out. Uh, and looking at, well, what does it mean to do church? Do I have to be full-time vocational as a minister? Or could I perhaps be co-vocational or bivocational and do church in a different way? Does it have to be on Sunday? Can there be specific church groups, for example, that target different demographics? We, we have to, I think, um, get out the playbook or put away the playbook of the past and develop a playbook for the future if we want to see church reaching our culture again. Uh,
1: inspiring words uh, we've got to adapt and we've got to be flexible and we've got to change because the culture is changing and so the way we start new expressions or plant churches that has to change as well and and there might be listeners who are interested in talking about um what it is to be a co vocational leader who actually gets involved in this space, or a bivocational leader, someone who works a business or a job, but also dedicates some of their time to getting involved in the planting of a church. Hey, let's talk some more statistics for a moment. Uh, On your website, you've got some statistics there about the National Church Life Survey that reported that in the 20 years to 2011, 50 more churches closed every year than were started that looks like the sort of thing that says the numbers of churches in Australia has been going backwards. We're talking reality here. What's your thought, Tim?
2: Oh, I totally agree, Neil. Uh, so in that 20 years to 2011, the number of, pro- of Protestant churches in Australia fell by approximately 1,000 or by about 10%, from about 11,000 to 10,000. Uh, what we found in 2016, NCLS did some work for us, from their 2016 survey. And they found that only approximately 2% of churches that were surveyed were planting a new church in any given year. Now, the problem gets worse, because preliminary figures from NCLS show that for five years to 2021, that 2% was cut in half. Now, based on the old statistics, it'll take 3% of churches planting a new church every year just to, to maintain the status quo. But and whilst we're still waiting on more information to be produced by NCLS, it looks like it's dropped down to about one percent.
1: Okay, well, what it says is yes, there is a backwards movement, and uh, there might be all sorts of you know nuances in the way to talk about that, but you're illustrating something pretty important that there is a need, and let's include every single listener in our conversation a need for an acceleration. So if there has been a deceleration and there's been a slowing, there needs to be a turnaround that looks like an acceleration. Is that what you're into?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, Neil. I think one of the, uh, for one of the, one of the things that has really stirred me is Jesus' words in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where he talks about the problem not being in the harvest, the problem's actually in getting workers into the harvest and that we need to be praying for workers for the harvest. And to me, that this typifies the issue that we have. Uh, if we want to see more churches established, we need more church planters. We need more workers who are actually going into the harvest. And so for me, the core problem actually comes down to this, the fact that we're not raising up, up enough uh, men and women who will actually go into the harvest as planters. Tim let
1: me ask you where the inspiration comes from Uh, is it the local church leader who helps to inspire these church planting opportunities or if you are a part of a denomination and uh, you know you might be in any number of evangelical or Pentecostal denomination you might be in what called mainline denominations Is it the leaders of a denomination where you've got this sort of trickle-down effect of the vision and somebody sets a goal? Where does the vision come from for church planting?
2: Yeah, I think the leaders of a denomination play a very, very important role because they actually help set the culture and set the vision for the church planting. But also the leaders of individual churches within denominations, they can do likewise. And I think the third area is, and this was my own experience when I planted with my wife about 30 years ago, uh, we actually went uh, to talk to someone uh, who had wisdom and experience and they saw something in us and they said, have you ever considered planting a church? And we hadn't until that at that point in time so we would like to to um, be that person who is actually talking to people and encourage them to church plan but we'd also like to be working with church leaders and denominational leaders in actually helping them set up uh, set a culture in their denominations and in their churches and the thing that goes hand in hand with with the culture is actually having leadership pipelines developed to actually raise up church planters
1: Isn't it interesting that a person who might lead a church plant uh, usually draws around them a team, but those people on the team also are in an acceleration phase in their own leadership because, you know what, you need pastoral care, you need youth leadership, you need children's ministry, you need the people who are going to be, uh, you know, those ones who are welcoming that hospitality team that actually just makes your church have some sort of a cultural uh, boundary and a body to it Um, this is an this is an acceleration not just for a single person thinks they'll be a church planter this is an acceleration for the maturity of a whole lot of people involved isn't it
2: oh absolutely and i think one of the things that we need to do is instead of just training church planters we need to train their teams at the same time so as a church is about to be established or, or planted there's a whole team that's trained and i think um what we find is that when, when there is a team that is going into the harvest like this, all of a sudden they'll take a degree of responsibility and ownership that is far, far greater than when they're just serving under someone else in an existing church. So it's certainly an impetus for growth to take place.
1: What about that person who is in church life and says, you know what, I am inspired by this, we need to go and plant a church. Uh, and you think you go to your pastor and the pastor says, well, that's not really what we're into. Or the pastor might say, "You're not ready for this yet." Uh, is this something you can you can sort of hose down the fire of vision uh, very easily? Uh, you know, nurturing that to, to move along to a point to a point where it can actually work. How do you see that? And the, in, the you know yes. the, the the interaction between the pastor and the person who says, "Yes, want to be part of something to plant a church."
2: look the pastor has to be the permission giver uh i guess one of the first uh passages from scripture that really impacted me about about church planting was genesis two twenty four, and it talks about for a man shall leave his mother and his father and be united with his wife and the two shall become one uh many years ago i uh, met with a professor who uh, described to me how this was a um, this passage was a description of a way God wants to see a community propagated, and just as in the natural family, it needs to be in the spiritual family as well. Now, in the natural family, uh, if I was to keep my children home uh, and say, "No, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready," um, I'd be called controlling and dysfunctional. Uh, in fact, my role as a natural father is to actually prepare my children. Uh, to go out into the big wide world as i have done and to actually be able to make their own decisions and to make their own way. And I think we have to have that mindset uh, in churches as well where we're raising people from the harvest rather than keeping people to feed the machine that we've actually developed. Uh,
1: The machine that you develop because there are small churches and then there are medium-sized churches and there are larger churches and the bigger the machine, uh, the bigger those sorts of needs for mature people to keep the machine running so uh, do you find this when you're talking about church planting that sometimes the most effective people to do a church plant are actually being confined into the role they have in the local church because the church is growing and there needs to be part of the machinery that's going to keep it growing
2: absolutely Absolutely. Neil, if I can just mention it, exponential. Uh, We use a a rough way of grading churches, uh, five different levels of churches. A level one church is a church that's in decline. A level two church has plateaued. A level three has the the goal of being a growing church. A level four is a church that plants churches. A level five church is a church that plants churches that plants churches. So it's multiplication. What we find and what we have found um, in various countries is that churches that have as their main target growth, uh, they want to be the, perhaps the biggest or the best uh, uh, church in their city, those churches will, will take the financial and people resources that they have uh, to actually uh, to continue that growth. So believe it or not, but what we've actually found is that it's probably the plateaued churches uh, that are often the more successful church-planting churches rather than the ones that, that have as that holy grail, if you like, growth. Well,
1: no doubt there's listeners right now who are thinking, uh, where does my church fit into all of that, you know, a five-point sort of uh, different levels of churches? Well, I do want to open our talk back line, and there might be listeners who'd like to contribute to our conversation today. You might have a question. You might have a comment. You might even have a critique for the conversation. Uh, you might be genuinely interested in how you might make this work in your own church, and you'd like a little bit of insight, and that might be an opportunity today. So let's open Talkback line on, on 1-800-316-316. 1-800-316-316. Tim O'Neill is our special guest through this hour, He's chairperson of Exponential Australia. Yes, they've got a conference coming up as well in Gold Coast in Queensland, the ignite a culture of multiplication exponential australia the conference coming up 17th and 18th of october at Rabina on the gold coast uh, let's take a call tim o'neill is our guest he's chairperson of exponential australia let's take a call george is in rudy hill in sydney hello george welcome
0: yeah g'day gentlemen thank you for taking my call it's been an interesting uh, conversation isn't it uh, church planting. Look, I come from a church at Rudy Hill um, uh, Hill Anglican, St Albans, and we have uh, we started about 32 years ago, and our aim was always to church plant, and we have uh, we started doing that a little while ago. We learned some lessons, which is the mother church, when she gives birth, and that's what it is when you're sort of splitting off, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, or whatever, 70 people to go off and start a church, that she... The mother church gets left a little bit tired and and worn and uh, and and I, I guess uh, those resources go pretty quick. So um, and also, if you don't have enough people at a church plant, you get a, people burning out. So there's only like 20 people or 15 going to char- char- start a church plant. You find the people there work really hard and uh, and for a long time, and they and they get burnt out, and that's probably one of the reasons and that we found is that we need to grow the church, the regional mother church to be big enough and healthy enough to give birth and then when we actually do give birth we're, we're, we're giving away around about 70 people. And also I've found is that the, um, the church pastor or the leadership really needs to be not self-preserving because when you lose those 70 people it can financially also take a hit as well and and if it doesn't work out, you've got lots of people burnt out, financial hit, and you really got to have pastors and, and leadership who are just committed to trusting God and doing what is right and not necessarily growing an empire, but just going to where people aren't being served or loved and the gospel being preached.
1: George, you are making a tremendous contribution here with these couple of uh, focuses. Tim, your thoughts for George?
2: okay thanks george look i think one of the things that we need to change is the models of church planting how we do church etc because when we send out say 60 or 70 people generally it's to actually establish a church uh, similar to what we've come come from perhaps with a bit more of a contemporary feel to it my own experience uh when my wife and i planted a church we planted with four people and then and we gathered a core team after that so it doesn't always have to be that that big way of doing it uh, so I, I would just really encourage that we have to uh, look for biv- bivocational models, co-vocational models. Uh, we have to look at micro churches. We have to look at uh, a whole range of different options rather than just uh, planting what has been done in the past.
1: And the other part of your comment and question there, George, was around pastors and empires, uh, the thought of yes. building a very big mothership sort of thing. Uh, thoughts here, Tim?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a very important thought because I think ultimately the call to church plant, I I see three things in it. One is the call to be a shepherd to people. The second is the call to make disciples. And the third is the the call to lovingly engage as Jesus would with his new commandment uh, to love like he would and uh, god may well give people later on a vision for a substantial church or a substantial impact at some point in time but i think we have to be really wary that we don't have vision that comes from either our ego or the ego of the pastor of ascending church um, because that's how empires do originate now uh, with being a shepherd if jesus is calling you to shepherd a bunch of people it may be Ah, uh, 20 people, maybe 100 people, maybe a thousand people, but Jesus says He will build His church, and I think we have to respect that.
1: Okay, George, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open 1800 316 316. Let's take another call. Andrew is in Port Campbell, in Victoria. Hi, Andrew. Welcome. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Tim. Love the show. Uh,
0: I sort of think a lot of churches are so inward-looking, just trying to preserve what they've got, and they just can't look beyond the walls of their church. And anything uh, that might introduce some newness or is sort of seen as a bit of a threat. And, and I think a lot of people see evangelism and outreach as just a way of getting more backsides on seats rather than
1: uh, getting people over the line into the kingdom of God. Really good insights there. Andrew, uh, Tim, thoughts for Andrew?
2: Yeah, Andrew, I uh, agree that there are churches that are like that, and to me it's a shame. And those churches will probably never change their culture, not radically anyway, and perhaps the best opportunity is for them to actually uh, look at doing something new with some of their people, that is is actually establishing something new. For example, uh, planting um, sending a few people out to plant a church or a micro church, rather than trying to change the existing church. What the existing church can do is to encourage them, to, to shepherd the people who go out, to pray for them, perhaps to provide a bit of finance. Um, but it's a very, very hard thing indeed uh, to change the culture of an existing church.
1: Andrew, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Before we take another call... Uh, something here, because I'm sure there'll be some who are thinking, I want you to tell us it's easy to do this. But actually, Tim, uh, I think what you're talking about, and I think what listeners will be picking up, is if you're going to give birth to another church, there is pain, there is commitment, there is the raising of that child into maturity. Uh, this is not an easy process we're
2: talking about, is it? No, no, it's not. And we always encourage people to go through a thorough uh, assessment process now uh, Just the experience in in various developed countries is where church planters do not go through a proper assessment process Probably only about 30 percent of church plants survive But where church planters go through a proper assessment process is probably up around the 85 or 90 percent success rate and the thing that I would couple with that is having ongoing coaching and mentoring and in particular with some of the uh, hooking up with some of the church planting ministries around Australia like Reach Australia or City to City or New Thing and various other uh, ministries that are there to uh, because they will help you uh, walk the, the journey that must be walked. Let's take another call. Donna
1: is in Albany in Western Australia. Hi Donna, welcome. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Very well, Donna. What are your thoughts? Well,
0: I think um, I've, the churches I've been involved with have put their whole heart and soul into running out and trying to win people to God, and it's hard slog, and I've experienced a couple of moves to God when I was a teenager, the, I got saved in the Jesus movement, at the end of it, and... About 1995, there was another movement of God. I think we, I really do think we need a revival like God's hand to move over the nation because there's a lot of opposition spiritually, and we need his hand and a revival.
1: Donna, an interesting dimension to bring to a conversation like this. Uh, It's one thing to. Uh, go the hard slog and be involved in a church plant donna is saying do we need a move of god that uh, god moves on hearts and people get inspired to do these things like planting churches tim your thoughts for donna
2: oh donna i think that's a great uh, a great thought and i think we do need to have audacious prayer taking place um for me the focus for audacious prayer is actually sending workers uh, into the harvest and seeing them raised up and as uh, jesus said in luke chapter 10 verse 2 that's we're we're to pray for him to to send workers into the harvest Um, my own experience is that and i'm not an evangelist but my own experience um, is that there are a lot of people who are open to credible incredible, uh, if you like, declarations of the gospel, uh, incredible explanations of the gospel when we couple it with, with the love of Jesus. And I look at the way Alpha is being used around our country and it's absolutely phenomenal being used as a tool. And so I think there are keys where we can actually uh, see people come to faith. Uh, and sometimes I think we, we pray for revival in asking God to do what he's already told told us to do. And so my focus very much is um, is on praying for workers of the harvest, praying for, for boldness, praying for love, uh, praying for opportunities to engage with people.
1: Donna in Albany WA, thank you so much for your call, Donna. Tim, before we take any more calls, let me ask you about denominations here. People might be thinking, who's this Tim O'Neill? Uh, is he wanting to take everybody from all across the church and turn them into his denomination? Uh, How do you work with uh, uh, denominations across the spectrum?
2: Yeah, well, we've connected with about 20 different denominations, uh, the leaders with about 20 different denominations and probably another 35 networks across the country. And our role at Exponential is actually not to get in the way, but rather to help them. We regard ourselves as being like the chamber of commerce of church planting. So, in other words, our role is to help provide a healthy environment for the denominations and the churches and the networks and the church planting ministries uh, to thrive. Um, so, we're not, not competing with anyone. We, we won't get them away of doing their work. We just want to help create a a healthy environment.
1: And of course, some of those denominations will have their own church planting arms and uh, you're working with them as well. Is that the way you'd you'd like to see yourself as a a support uh, for all of those opportunities?
2: Absolutely. In fact, with our national conference coming up in October on the Gold Coast, uh, we've got about 40 workshops that are being run as well as having the keynote speakers and we've got people from the main church planting ministries and, and people with church planting expertise from various denominations running those workshops. We want to, uh, to, to find the wisdom that i have got, the experiences that they've got and make them accessible to, uh, to churches across our nation.
1: Some will be saying, I'm a part of a home meeting uh, and it's not really denominationally aligned. Um, let's talk about micro churches here for a few moments because there is quite a substantial micro church movement around Australia. People who are part of home group type churches, uh, some of them are aligned to denominations and some of them are not what do you how do you define what a new church plant actually is uh, you might have planted a new home group and then you call it a micro church uh, how do you get a definition here tim
2: i've actually steered away from getting a, def- de- a definition neil uh, because we don't want to constrain ourselves by saying, um, uh, "Oh, this qualifies and this doesn't." Uh, instead, we we just want people to get to uh, have a go. And we want people to ha- uh, get support, and we want people to grow healthy churches. I think one of the things with a micro church, you mentioned micro churches. We're um, we've heard of over 430 micro churches that have been acknowledged or recognised around Australia, and often these are flying under the radar screen, so they're not in the surveys. Uh, but with a micro-church, there must be missional intent. Uh, in other words, it's not just a... Um, if we look at the house-church movement, often the house-church movement uh, began uh, for pastoral care reasons, to actually uh, to, to pastor and care, uh, care for the people in those groups, whereas typically with a micro-church, whilst care is part of it, definitely part of it, its reason for existence is actually missional.
1: So you've got a leader in a what might look like a home group, but that leader has intention of raising that group into eventually meeting in their own building or their own space and, uh, and growing into an actual church. So there, there's something in the leadership there?
2: Yeah, sometimes it can happen like that. For example, uh, one famous micro church started in Rick Warren's home many years ago, about forty years ago, and that micro church actually grew to Saddleback to be Saddleback Church. But other micro churches will start uh, small, but then they'll hive off and start another group and another group. And what you'll then find happening is that there may well be a network of micro churches that are actually happening. Uh, if I can give an example of this, uh, there was, there's a region in Australia where I, I, my wife and I drove through uh, some time back, and many of the towns there in this this particular region were only towns of 500 to 1,000, uh, so they'll never support a large church, uh, and those towns might have been, say, 10 or 15 kilometres away from each other. And I did some research. There are 55 towns in this this actual region, uh, most of them small. Uh, and so, how are we going to reach the people in those towns? And I would say the the only way or the best way is actually by starting uh, something which is small and nimble in those towns, like a micro church. But then having them networked so that there is a support across across that whole region for the micro church leaders and the micro churches, so they're part of something bigger than just the individual micro church. And that's also where accountability and a lot of the governance issues can be taken care of as well.
1: Those governance issues, they become very important because, of course, there are regulations and all sorts of things that are governing the way churches function these days. So, yes. is there, if you are a part of a micro church or you might be a part of a a home gathering which has aspirations to be a church, but you might not be aligned with one of the denominations. There's a real benefit to being a part of a denomination, isn't there? When you mention all of those things like accountability, if you were talking about things like a doctrine, having a sound doctrinal uh, belief yeah. base for your church, uh, and even then the financial management. So there's got
2: to be real benefits yes. to be aligned. Yes, and if I can just add a, a, another couple. There's working with children and vulnerable people policies. There's insurance and ensuring that insurance is in place, and also as one of the recommendations from a recent royal commission into child abuse uh, was about having pastoral supervision so that the leaders of those churches actually have an external pastoral supervisor uh, who is monitoring their health and well-being uh, as well. So. Uh, my preference, my strong preference is that micro churches will either be connected to a sending church, a mother church, uh, who can help with those things. Or alternatively, that there will be a network of micro churches that they are a part of, and that network of micro churches has, for example, its own eldership in place and looks after these issues.
1: Let me ask you about viability, because some people who think of uh, being the leader of a church uh, that you're automatically on, you know, a full wage. And uh, rarely does that happen uh, in the experiences that I've had and knowing lots of people who, who plant churches and do those sorts of things. Viability, uh, because some will say it's not really a church until it's viable enough to be able to support a full-time pastor. How do you uh, define what is viable if you're going to start something in its infancy like a micro church?
2: Yeah, great question. Perhaps if I can just twist that question a little bit and to look at what's desirable. And I um, there was a, a fascinating book that came out in 2008 an ugly title. The title is The Coming Revolution in Church Economics. And it makes a very, very strong case of the fact that um, pastors of churches um, Should in many cases be bivocational or co-vocational, not in all cases. But if you look at, uh, if I take myself as an example, my background is in business from many years ago. I was a chartered accountant, I've done a lot of corporate mentoring. And so, virtually my whole ministry career, uh, I have also been engaged in the marketplace, which has kept me close to people. Uh, some people who are far from God, some people who are are Christians, but it's enabled me to actually relate to those people and to have an evangelistic edge that's outside of a local church. Uh, I think the other aspect with uh, one of the issues, one of the problems I see is that when a church cannot um, properly afford uh, a wage for its pastor, that perhaps a pastor might be working full-time for it, that pastor will often hang on beyond retirement age in that particular church because they can't afford to retire. And uh, the church will end up dying over time generally when that happens. I think we've got a big issue. And also the, the associated issue is that the pastor's family probably is improperly financially catered for during that time. So there are a lot of dynamics that we need to start talking about openly uh, to do with financial viability, not only for the church, but for the pastor and their family as well.
1: Tim, who have you seen to be the predominant age group that gets involved in planting churches? Is it that older uh believer who maybe uh is young enough uh, but old enough you know to have actually you know they've they've got some sort of financial security behind them they say second wind of my life I'm going to go and do something that I've always wanted to do I'm going to serve God I'm going to plant a church and there's also a lot of wisdom in that older person or is there some room here for that young person with an aspiration for leadership who's who's doing the church planting are they younger people or are they older people
2: I would have to say that the majority of church planners I come across are probably in their early 30s, late 20s to early 30s. But really, we need all kinds of people planning, all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people. And so uh, I'm thinking now of a, a friend who is about 80, who who just with his wife recently moved into... Uh, an aged care facility, independent living aged care facility. This friend is having uh, an inc- having a wow of a time, um, meeting with the, uh, the other uh, residents, and probably quite possibly may end up uh, starting a church, uh, a home church in that particular facility.
1: And, of course, once you get something started and if you're in old age in an aged care facility, you might be a realist and say, somehow or other, I need a very quick succession plan here. Uh, succession plans, <laughs> these ideally start really on day one of setting out on a project like this because you don't want to be the one who makes a start – and uh, you didn't count the cost as much and then something happens to you, you have a health crisis or something happens and then yeah. things fizzle. So, so the, the, the idea of having a, a sustainable succession plan, obviously that's going to be part of what you do if you're going to do these sort of things.
2: It is, Neil. In fact, there's a term for that. And the term is actually planting pregnant. And now that might be a bit of a a laugh for people who're in an aged care facility. But perhaps if I can just mention to you four principles uh, of multiplication, which I think um, we we need to adopt, not only for the the elderly, um, elderly situation, but all across the board. The first of the principles is when you're discipling someone, ask them who they're discipling because there should be multiplication of the disciple levels, and this will apply to any age group. The second thing is, if you're leading something, you've got to have an apprentice leader, and whether it's a small group or a worship team or whatever. In other words, by having an apprentice leader, you're multiplying leaders. The third thing is, and we already touched on this, if you're planting something... uh, Train the whole team, not just the planter, but the fourth thing is as you plan something, plant pregnant so that you actually have another leader being trained with you and that leader can either take over from you if something untoward happens or alternatively, they could go and actually plant something afresh. If we had those four principles sewn into all we did, we'd have multiplication all over the place.
1: Planned pregnant. And, uh, you know, you might want to listen to the podcast of this conversation a little later on just to capture what that really means and to reflect on that a little more and uh, interesting you know you can have a bit of a laugh can't you about uh, aged care facilities and planting churches in those but uh, really it might be a conversation for another day but uh, an aging population uh, where we're headed uh, with this demographic there's plenty of room for all sorts of aged care facility church plants hey let me come back to the bivocational idea you said if you're going to be planting a church Uh, Don't expect necessarily that the sending church will support you in full. If you are a bivocational person, you have a business or you're able to pare back your hours to be able to survive and do a church planting, is there a perfect sort of a bivocational mix? Uh, You mentioned your background, an accountant and working in business. Uh, What about the tradie? Uh, What about the school teacher? Uh, What sort of perfect bivocational mix is there, Tim?
2: Well, but that, that's a great question too. In fact, um, I, I think bivocational can can happen across any any um, any professions. i'm I'm thinking of the moment of of a person who is taking over will be taking over a church later this year who's currently still working as a teacher two days a week. Uh, then I think also of another person uh, who has recently written, a uh, a book and um, I'm just um, just uh, trying to recall uh, the gentleman's name, um, but he's re- written a bo- book about by vocationalism. Um, but he's also uh, had a- Andrew Hamilton. That's right. It's Andrew uh, Hamilton. Yes, his
1: book is called "The Future Is By Vocational."
2: Yes. Yes. That's, that's correct, and he'll be presenting one of the workshops at our conference as well, and he's been a tradie who's had a business on the side. Uh, so it can work anywhere. I, I can easily envisage people who are working uh, in the NDIS environment as carers also um, uh, being able to to work there a couple of days a week, but also then have a number of days a week in terms of, uh, their business as well when I planted my church I was actually full-time in the business world for the first five years um, and the, the switch came only when I, I clearly heard from God but now was the time to to actually change
1: and being able to gauge when the time to change is right because if you're starting a small mm-hmm. church it doesn't demand your whole full time but as things continue to grow then you'd need to be able to have some level of wisdom to be able to make decisions along the way and and and, and uh, alter and change your working week so that you can uh, see things continue to grow uh, and if you yeah. if you have no intention at all of dropping your vi- by vocational career is this where you you know you're pregnant with new leaders as well leading them uh, to raise them up so that they are learning what you do and that they can go and duplicate what you do
2: Yes, I think so. If we look at Ephesians 4.11, which talks about the fivefold ministry, Alan Hirsch calls them the apest, apostles, prophet, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. If we look at verse 12, we see that one of their primary roles is to actually to uh, to equip people for the work of the ministry. Now, the problem is when we're working full-time in a small environment, a small church will often take on a sense of guilt about the fact that we should be doing more, we should be doing more, and we end up developing um, our congregations to be consumers of a range of religious products and services uh, because it's we do everything for them rather than actually equipping them and mobilising them into ministry. So I think there can be a real trap, especially in a smaller church, of actually, um, yeah, falling into that that having that attitude i have to do everything because they're paying me to do it
1: now a lot of denominations will set their own goals Uh, they'll have a goal that they want to see this many churches planted or uh, these many churches supported those sorts of things Uh, there's some goals that you've got in place too and you'd like to see a thousand new churches planted every year over the next 10 years, resulting in 5,000 new churches being planted over the next 10 years and leading to 45,000 additional salvations over this time. Uh, Just take us into this sort of goal because I know that there'll be some who are saying, you know what, Uh, I think it's good to hear the inspiration of having a goal that's set and uh, give us some inspiration here about, about how this works for you, Tim
2: okay look if unless we do something radical um the church in this country is going to continue to go downhill but we know it's god's will that none shall perish and in fact if we look biblically uh at the the mandate for uh for community if you look at the dominion mandate in genesis 1 and genesis 9 uh, we see the words go forth and multiply and we have to recapture that as a church Now, so we're working to try and see that stimulated over over this 10-year period. We would love to be able to get to that that point of seeing 1,000 new churches being planted uh, every year. And if that can happen, that will actually see the uh, church in Australia being renewed in the following 10 years, in the following decade. Uh, So it's substantial change that we're talking about.
1: All right, well, time is now running out. Uh, There'll be some listening to our conversation today who are saying, I've been waiting to hear a conversation like this uh, because there's, I guess there's something in the person who's a potential church planter that, you know, wants to have that flame stirred up, you know fanning into flame uh, the opportunity to go and do something significant. And, and there'll be listeners, and they might, even, might not be leaders of churches, but they're thinking, I need to find out more. You've got the conference coming up, the Exponential Australia 2023 conference. Uh, give us a little insight here into the sorts of things that you'll cover at that conference and the sort of person who might benefit most from going along.
2: Yeah, okay. Look, we really want to stimulate uh, church planting, obviously. Um, we'll be covering audacious prayer. We'll be covering in- intentional disciple-making, uh, engagement with your local community, empowering leadership, dynamic church planting and rapid multiplication. Those are some of the big themes that we're actually going to be covering. Now, I would say that the people who should be coming along to this, so if, if, so, if someone is interested in the possibility that perhaps... God may be calling them to plant a church. They should come. They really should come. It will be a time of great inspiration as well as practical information. Likewise, the church leaders or denominational leaders who actually want to to get their head around what the next steps might be, they should come because there's going to be uh, plenty of food for thought for, for people like that there as well. So uh, I'm really excited about this conference. Yeah,
1: it is a two-day conference, 17th and 18th of October, at Rabina on the Gold Coast in Queensland, and it's called the Exponential Australia 2023 Conference: Igniting a Culture of Multiplication. Uh, Tim O'Neill. Uh, Tim is the chairperson of Exponential Australia. Tim. It's been very insightful and uh, so informative, and I think there'll be some who are really quite inspired. Let me give the website for those listeners who want to find out more and find out whether you're going to stream any of those sessions, exponential.org.au. That's exponential.org.au to find out about that conference, 17th, 18th of October on the Gold Coast in Queensland, exponential.org.au. Tim O'Neill, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020.
2: Thank you very much, Neil. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks for
0: taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.